welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. The Gospel of John was written so that uh, John said, so that you might believe. It's written that we might believe in Jesus Christ and in by believing in Him. Believing in Him means that we place our faith, our trust, we turn over our life to Him, and He said, by believing in Him that you may have life. And that life is eternal life. And Jesus said this, that I come to give you life and life that is abundant. It's an abundant life that he has for us. And that's part of what it means. That's part of the benefits of following Jesus Christ, of serving God. And our series is Serving God, Serving People. Today, we're going to focus on serving God, a test and a trust. And it's part of the benefits of serving the Lord Jesus Christ found in John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, and along with that in the program, there's a page of notes that you can take that and refer to during this week. In John chapter 6, there's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men plus women and children and showing that he is the God of provision, that God, he is a God of compassion, and that he is a God of multiplication when we turn our lives over to him, when we offer to him what is in our hand. And the background for this actually fits in perfectly with where we are. They, uh, the background is, is that uh, it was that time of the year when they were approaching Passover. And Passover was one of the um, religious feasts that every uh, person that in Israel, they were required to come to Jerusalem and they would come as the heads of household, but they would bring their kids, the moms, the dads, the kids, grandparents, everyone was coming. And it would be a great, great celebration. It's sort of like a family reunion. And it was during this time, and people heard that Jesus was healing. And so, in fact, Jesus and his disciples were, were really getting worn out. And Jesus said in one of the Gospels, come away and rest a while. And they got in a boat and they're going across the Sea of Galilee, but somehow the people had heard. <laughs> and when by the time they landed on the beach over there, the crowd was already there. Now, how many, uh, you know, <laughs> does anyone ever, you've, I mean, you've been so involved with people or you're just worn out and the last thing you want is a house full of company if you show up. Has that ever happened to anybody? Uh, okay, well, you can imagine a company of, not 5,000, but 5,000 plus women and children, they're waiting for them. And so that's what, they, that's what they're facing. And during this time, in the Gospel of John, there are seven I Ams and there are seven signs that show that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God that would give His life for your sins and for my sins. He would take the penalty of all of mankind's sins in, on His body 
and he would die on the cross, and then he'd raise again on Easter. Uh, You know, we love Good Friday, but I'm really glad for Easter. How about you? Resurrection Sunday. Someone said Friday's here, but Sunday's coming, and I'm glad for Sunday. Praise God. Resurrection Sunday. And so these, there's, there's, there's several signs, and uh, seven signs and seven IMs, but two of these signs, these miracles, one was that Jesus walked on the water. This is right around John chapter 6. And the other is that he fed them 5,000. And to every person who was Jewish um, that were at that time, this paralleled two of the greatest miracles in the Old Testament. One was God feeding his children for manna in the wilderness for 40 years. And the other was when the Red Sea was parted so they could go through. When Jesus walked on the water and the word of this began to spread, and then when he fed the 5,000, it was actually more than 5,000, This was a sign that indeed he was doing what no human could do, even though he was in the form of human flesh. And so John writes this and these seven things that are going on. We're going to look today at Jesus feeding the 5,000. When we follow him, he is our provider and he's a source of life, but there there are wonderful benefits that come from following the Lord Jesus Christ when we turn our life over to him. Recently, as you know, Billy Graham, who is known as America's pastor, passed away, almost 100 years old. Billy Graham was born on a dairy farm near Charlotte, North Carolina. We have, my family has farming in our roots. And I can tell you that what I remember as a kid, and we lived on my grandparents' farm for a while, there was nothing glorious about dairy farming. It means that you can't go on vacation because how many know that cows, when they get milk, they don't take a vacation? How many know that? It means that my grandmom had to work in the French fry factory to make ends meet from the bills on the dairy farm. It, it just meant taking in the hay. It meant just a lot of things, plus stinky manure. And I, I mean, I, this is all thoughts, we, things that we experienced growing up, and so Billy Graham grew up in humble beginnings, and there's a few things about him that I did not know, and I sort of got a chuckle out of it. Um, Did you know, for instance, that in his early teen years, he was kicked out of the local church youth group because he was too worldly? Does anyone know that? And it was at age 16 that a friend of his invited him to hear Mordecai Ham, who was a just a powerful uh, spokesman for the gospel. And Billy Graham heard the gospel, and on that night he surrendered his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, I don't know if they let him in the youth group or not, but anyway, uh, he decided to go to Bob Jones. It's now university. Then it was Bob Jones College. And after a while, he dropped out of Bob Jones College because he said, you're all too legalistic and the courses are, I don't want to do that much work. And so he dropped out, but, but this, is, this is what Bob Jones Sr. talked with him about uh, before he left. He warned him not to throw his life away. 
He said, quote, at best, Billy, all you can amount to in your own strength would be a poor country Baptist preacher somewhere out in the sticks. You have a voice that pulls. In other words, God had given him something. You have a voice that pulls, and God can use that voice of yours. He can use it mightily. Well, he left there, and he went to a place called Florida Bible Institute. He still did not have a a call on his life, a specific call on his life. And, and while he was there, he was, um, he was out on the golf course. And remember, this is in the middle of depression. So th- this is a different type of guy. That's all I can say. He's on the 18th hole of a country club. When I went to Bible college, let alone in the depression, no one could afford the green fee. So I don't know what was going on. But on the 18th hole, God spoke to him and called him into the ministry and what he's supposed to do, and he surrendered his life at that time and said, Lord, you have my all. How many say thank God for that, that God can call us, God can use us, and God is the God of second chances even when we've seen to sort of of frittered things away for a while. As at the time of his death, because he'd given his life to the Lord, he had preached to 215 million people. He had preached in 185 countries. He was advisor to America's presidents. And I did not know this either, but NBC offered a $1 million contract to Billy Graham for him to appear for five consecutive years opposite the Arthur Godfrey show. Now, y'all mostly don't know what Arthur Godfrey was, but back in the day, that was big. And my how times have changed, that NBC was willing to pay a million dollars for this man to preach the gospel. And he said, I can't do it because God has called me, and I have prior commitments of crusades. And so, no, he turned that down so he continued preaching the gospel Thank you, Lord, and thank you, Billy Graham, for what he did. And it's an example of what happens when we turn our life to God and offer to him what we have in our hearts, what we have in our hands, what, and that can be our talents. It can even be our brokenness. It can even be something that seems to be small and inadequate and that there's not enough. But when Jesus Christ, the multiplier, takes that in our life, He does something that we can't do on our own. Praise His name. Amen. And so there's some things that I want to share with you today, four things. The first thing is this, is that Jesus knows what He is going to do. He knows what He is going to do. John 1, John 6, 1, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. In all the Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only 
miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. It's found in Matthew 14. It's found in Mark chapter 6. It's found in Luke chapter 9 and John chapter 6. And in this Gospel here in John, he is the only one that mentions Philip by name and that Jesus asked him to participate because he was testing him. He already knew what he was going to do. And so he knows what he's going to do in every situation because, friends, Jesus always responds to our needs and he fully satisfies us. He doesn't always respond to our needs the way that the way and when we want him to. How many found that out? You know, yes. But because he knows the end from the beginning. He knows all. He has all power. And he's everywhere present. Uh, there, was, there was a song that um, I heard. Uh, I might have been in Bible college. But someone can help me with your... It was, you don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger. Remember that? You don't spit in the wind. You don't do that, you know. And then there was a movie, Your Arms Are Too Short to Box with God. He's got all the bases covered. We only have a little, a little view. In fact, Paul the Apostle said, we see through a glass darkly. If it is... If it is the basic underlying capacity of us to see through a glass darkly, why wouldn't we trust the one who loves us, who is everywhere present, who has all knowledge and all power, but his time is not our time. He knows all, has all power and everywhere present. There are seven I am's that Jesus spoke about, and those I am's, Every person who was raised in Judaism, when they read this scripture, knew what that meant because no one was allowed to say, I am, except God. And it comes from the Old Testament. You remember when Moses was in front of the burning bush and God said, I am that I am. I am that I am. And Jesus said this. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of this world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And every time he said, I am, it was words of the covenant that God has with his people. I am that I am. And he was talking about the different characteristics of his life and how it relates to, it, to us. So the good news is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're in the palm of his hand. But he puts us to the test. He puts us to the test because he knows what he's going to do and he wants you and me to be part of it. So the second thing is a test. God is at work. He is at work. This was interesting. In Mark 6, 35 through 38, uh, Paul, uh, Mark also wrote about the feeding of the 5,000. He said, when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, now let me back up. Just let me back up a little bit. John doesn't record this. Neither does it record 
this, that the disciples came to Jesus and they were telling him all that they had done. They had healed the sick. They, they were, eyes were opened, ears were open, demons were cast out. And they're really, really doing something for God. You know, I think that's a big deal, don't you? That's the background. This is how this story is introduced in at least two of the other Gospels. So in Mark, um, it was already quite late. Jesus had been healing them all day long, and his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate, and it's already quite late. In other words, Jesus, this party's gone on really long enough, and uh, you, you need to tell him to skedaddle. I mean, we're, you know how tired we are. You told us to come over here, and you told us to get some rest And you might be a marathon man, but we are worn out. Tell them to go home or go somewhere. So they said, send them away so they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. That was their solution. But he answered to them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and spend uh, 200 days of wages on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. When they found out, they said five and two fish, a test. It was a huge opportunity for, for them and for him. God presents huge opportunities to us. This past year, last summer, in a special business meeting, we voted to go into uh, a building campaign. And, and, and so we've been raising money for that and meeting with architects and all the other things that are involved with that and stormwater management, which one day, there, listen, in heaven there will be no more tears, sorrow, sickness, and crying, and no more stormwater management. I understand the basis for it all, and I understand that whole deal, but okay. And, and we'll have all the electronic message boards that we need. No more two years jumping through red tape to get, get things like that. And so, but there's a huge opportunity that God has before us. And he said, what will you do? And you responded to the Lord. And I want to say thank you. But how many know we need to keep pressing this thing all the way through to the end? It's not just an initial response, but, but God has blessed grace, and God has blessed you, and God has blessed me and Chris as your pastor, and, and it's just wonderful to see what God is doing. But he asks us, it's a test, what are you going to do about it? And then he says, you give them something to eat. What about your neighbors that you don't know if they have a relationship with God or not? What about those people that you work with? Jesus says, you give them something to eat. What about what God is doing in our lives? He asks us to respond, and we get to participate and sometimes to go outside the box. Friends, God's process, God's process, and you can see it in in John chapter 6, is to move, he moves us from seeing Jesus as the provider to being the bread of life, 
to being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ because he is not only the author of our faith, he is also the finisher of our faith. Can someone say, thank you, Lord? He knows exactly what he's doing. Paul said these slight momentary afflictions that we go through are not worthy to be compared to the glory that we will be revealed to us when we see Jesus Christ. I, can't, I just can't imagine. Can't imagine what that's going to be like. I can't imagine what it's like when he puts us to the test and we say, yes, Lord. When we say, take what's in my hand and one day... We stand before Him. And and do you know this? God's Word says that one day everyone's going to stand before the Lord. There's two, two judgments. He's the righteous judge of all the earth. He's the only one that did anything and could do anything about humanity's condition of being far from God. And He gave His life for us. And God, our Heavenly Father, is called the righteous judge of all the earth. We all, we, and, there's, and He looks and sees if our name is found in the book of life. I'm glad that when He offered salvation to you and to me, that we said yes. Can someone say, thank you, Lord? Yes. We're there. We're there. There's some lists I don't want to be on. I don't want to be on the tax roll. and I don't want to be on a lot of lists, but I want to be on that list. But there's another one called the, the judgment when we stand before him and he judges the works that we've done our entire life. And, and when we've said yes to the Lord, this test and this trust, when we say yes to the Lord, one day everything that you've done in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory and those, listen, those hours that you've spent and those times that you've walked through the deep, deep, dark valley because that's where the path that God is taking you from here to where he's called you to do and you're all alone and no one maybe knows what's going on or it's just between you and God one day it's going to be worth it all and at that judgment everything that we've done is going to be tried by fire and it'll either be burned up as hay wood and stubble that's hay wood and stubble how many know the all of our homes in an instant They could burn up like that in a matter of hours. All of our dreams, everything that we've done, but our treasures in heaven, and when we say yes to the Lord, they're of eternal value, and it all adds up, praise God. And so it's a test. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, and he knows exactly what he's going to do concerning your life and concerning his work. The third thing is it's a trust, trust. Philip answered him, 200 days worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also the fish, as much as they wanted. A test, a trust. Our attitude determines our altitude. Our attitude determines our altitude. There are three responses here. Number one was Philip. He's what I call a strategic pessimist. He folded his arms and said, 
even if we had two-thirds of a man's wages, we, there's not enough for them to eat even a little bit. He had it all figured out. He could tell Jesus why it wouldn't happen. The scary thing about being a strategic pessimist is, is I've noticed that if we're not careful, we can pride ourselves on being so analytical, and then we look for reasons to undergird our position. We cross our arms and says it can't be done when it comes to the work of God. Can't be done. Do you know, I believe it was in um, Numbers 11, when the people began to cry out in the wilderness for God to feed them something other than uh, manna, and they were looking back, it, it, it was it, to feed them in the, in the wilderness. They were looking back at Egypt with all the melons and everything else, and they're carrying on, and they're, cry, they're crying out, and Moses really got ticked off. I mean, there's only so much a leader can do. How many know that? I mean, there's only so much he can do. And he said, this is what he said to God. He said, God, if all the, if all the fish in the ocean were caught and all the sheep in the world were slaughtered, it'd never satisfy this outfit. And God said to him, I want you to know, don't put limits on me. Don't put limits on what can be done. Friends, there's something that rises up within me when pessimists in the gospel tell me that something can't be done because this is the work of God. How many know that? We heard, I cannot tell you how many times when we, we came to plant the church and you're going to starve and you can't do that and nobody your age, we're 39. What do you mean my age? I wish I was 39. You're poor girls, you're going to ruin them. You can't, there's no promise, there's no nothing. You can't do that. Why are you leaving this church? It's growing, you have a brand new home. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Because God put us to the test. Put us to the test. And I'd rather be past I'd rather be flunked by this world and passed by him. How about you? Yes. And so don't put limits on what God can do. God's put something in your heart, and that's between you and God. You do, and you set your face, and you go for that as much as you can and surrender that to the Lord and offer to him what's in your hand. Don't let your attitude, or your attitude will always determine your altitude. Don't be the strategic pessimist that knows all the ways that it can't be done. Because no matter how many ways that you come up with that it can't be done, if it opposes God's will, you'll be wrong 100% of the time. Is there anything that's too hard for God? No. Not at all. But I love Andrew, the obedient realist. I love him for a lot of reasons. Jesus told the disciples in Mark 6, you go and see what they all have to eat here. And Andrew did. He's the only one that, came, that we know of that came back. He was an obedient realist. Listen, he, was, he, knew, he knew what was there. He saw like Philip and 
He saw like Judas the thief, and he saw that. He knew it was late, and they're in the middle of nowhere, and they couldn't provide, and their solution was to send everyone away. But what I love about Andrew is that even though he saw what's going on, he was obedient. I like that. How about you? And I love that there is something about him, and he talked that little boy out of his lunch. You've heard me reference that I think that he was a fat little Jewish boy because we people that err on the side of being rather than this, we always have food with us just in case. I mean, it's just, just in case. We go on a trip and there's no McDonald's on 95 or no gas stations and all the restaurants are closed between here and Florida. We'll make sure that we have something to eat. But I love men and little boys. Last Wednesday night, we had 18 boys in one room, and we had six men, and they're teaching them, and they're in, in our Royal Rangers ministry for boys, and we have girls' ministries that happen on Wednesday nights at 7, and we have remixed youth, and, and they had, I think, I don't know, 60 or 70-some in here, and we had about 190 in the building and most of it, most of it, there are 40 adults in our two Bible studies, but most of it was children and youth and adults that were working with them. I love that. And, and I took a picture of them. They're looking at rockets. But here's men that are showing up on Wednesday nights. They're men and boys saying to the boys very loudly, it, it, not this way, but their lives are saying, you are important to us and you matter to God. And on Wednesday night, we're doing something about it. And they're teaching them about how to live as a young man according to God's Word. And they're building rockets at the same time. And I took the picture, and I didn't realize it until I posted. I took a picture, and my grandson was in the, in the foreground. And he had a rocket. looked like he was poking one of the kids' eyes out. It wasn't as bad as that. And someone said, be careful, you'll knock their eye out, you know. I love men and boys out of obedience. And they brought it. And then this little guy, this little guy, I, I, I believe that if he, they wore jeans back then, he would have wore husky jeans like I did when I was a kid. Couldn't get into slims, couldn't get into regulars. My mom just bought me huskies. That's what it was. He was all in. Two little, five little barley loaves. They're about as big as the pita bread. You know the pita bread you can get over at ShopRite. There's like five of them in there, whole wheat. That's about what they were. Two little dried fish or pickled fish. It probably dried because whatever. But it couldn't feed very many. But Jesus said, have them sit down. One of the gospels said he had them sit down in groups of 50 and 100 how many know that it's a lot easier if you're one person to deal with 50 than it is with 5,000? God calls you to do what he wants you to do, not to take on the whole weight of the world. 50 and 100 is a lot easier than a multitude of thousands of people. And that little boy gave what he had. And the barley loaves, that, that was the most inexpensive way food that you could get. And the Bible says this, that 
He took the barley loaves, and it, Jesus did, and he, he blessed it, and He broke it, and He gave thanks, and He began to distribute it, and He multiplied it, and one of the Gospels says, so they could eat as much as they wanted to eat. That's how Jesus does things. And it's a process. We don't jump there from now. and It, it just doesn't happen all in one night. God, there's some things that God will do for us instantly. And at the end of the message today, there's, we're going to just give an opportunity for you to be prayed for. And, there's, and I believe because Jesus is here that in some people's lives there's going to be an instant answer like that. Or he'll lift a burden from you. Or he'll allow you to see what he sees. That's how he does things. But because he's the author and the finisher of our faith, it allows us to, to what God speaks to our hearts as we hear the word. It allows us to have a prayer of agreement with someone else so God can seal that in our heart so it's not just us dealing with this stuff. How many know what I'm talking about? That's why we're part of the body of Jesus Christ. The last thing is this, is that Jesus is the bread of life. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. And they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. He is the one who multiplies. He is the one who multiplies. He turns our lack into abundance. He turns what we have that's small and inadequate, or he turns an a talent like Billy Graham, that if you offer it to the Lord, he'll do something above what you are able to even ask or think. And he satisfies, and Jesus gives us a second chance. I can't tell you how appreciative I am of the Lord Jesus that he gives us a second chance. Every one of us in this room, there have been some time when we've missed something that God wanted us to do. And his disciples did. And, I, you know, Jesus could have said to them all, look at them. Just look. I just want you to see. Now, just see. Sit there and see. But what Jesus did graciously, he let them. He said, take up what's left over. You take up what's left over. And the wonderful thing about God this is that sometimes through our own life we say no to God and he passes us by but it's just like the prodigal son and the father he's always looking he's always looking and Jesus gave the, gave the disciples a second chance and not only a second chance a second chance and he allowed them they allowed them to participate in the abundance because that's who God is. That's who God is. That's who God is. The enemy of our soul wants to tell us that Jesus called him a thief and a liar from the beginning, a murderer from the beginning, in fact, a thief and a liar. He said, he comes to destroy, but I come to give you life and that more abundantly. God is so good, isn't he? Praise his name. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. Listen, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. You're not done because you're 45. You're not done because you're 65. You're not done because you're 15. And you're not done because you're 85. And you're not done because you're 95. That's our God.
Ask us to participate with him. Participate with him. He has a plan. He knows exactly what he's going to do in the situation. Someone say amen. Praise God. Praise his name. I'd like you to stand with me.